Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. You know, fortunes are won and lost in the course of these betting events. I'm, I'm not sure you'd ever heard of this. Wait, I certainly have not. I've never heard of it. So wait, let, let me ask the, the obvious questions here. Okay. <laughs> they smuggle in finches. Do they get them to chirp artificially? Are they injected with something? Is there some reward? How do they know what finches will sing and what finches won't sing? What idiot bets on the number three finch and then gives you a reason? How would you know? The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. It's great that we had a betting open because it means that we can segue immediately into Andy Beyer and talk about the Kentucky Derby. I will say that I got this lovely note the other day from our watercolorist and anchor, news anchor friend, George Mallet, saying that he loved horses and knew a lot about horses and showed me a photo of him um, on top of one of Secretariat's offspring riding it and he the one thing he said was I'm, I'm good at this i'm happy to do it unless you get andy buyer and i said well we've got andy buyer and he said then i yield i yield to andy buyer so andy is well, with well, us he, I, I guess he uh, hasn't bet any of my last 20 derby selections <laughs> so uh, uh, i've still got a reputation with him all right that's good to know um the the most obvious question for me is given what happened last year with the crazy inverted and weird order of the Triple Crown and when they ran these races, does this feel like normalcy to you or are we not yet at normalcy in horse racing? Uh, we're, we're not quite at normalcy. I mean, the... Uh uh, you know the you know the pandemic has has caused you know periodic you know kind of cancellation of races or uh, you know some tracks just had you know had to stop because there were there was a, a, a spread of it but it's you know the uh, the, the triple crown you know the, the, the preliminaries to the triple crown have uh, you know have you know have gone pretty smoothly so i say it's close to a normal year <clears throat> i would uh, i would add uh, i mean this is certainly a minority opinion i thought the way the 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 races were arranged last year was a big improvement over the <laughs> over the previous uh, 140 uh, you know the what one of one of the uh, one of the things I don't like about, you know, the the Triple Crown now is that horses uh, are, are trained in such a way that they come into the races with with really light preparation. You know, you we uh, you you don't know how good they are. I mean, they're nowhere near their peak. So running this in in the summer and and the early fall, you know, got. Uh, uh, I, you know, I thought created better racing, and uh, so I, I, I didn't think it was a real downer at all last year. That's interesting because I had written that down. I had assumed that you were crazy angry at the strange order of it. I, I'm pretty sure the pre was it Preakness Derby Belmont or Preakness Belmont Derby. It was a Belmont Derby Preakness. Oh, so the Belmont went first. So, okay, so right, then it went right. longest to shortest. 
Right. Longest no, to shortest. No, it, but they but they short they shortened the Belmont to a mile and an eighth because the, oh, okay. it was the start of the series, which was also a good idea because the mile and a half Belmont is an anachronism. Nobody's bred to run that far. Trainers trainers pretty much hate it. <laughs> you know, uh, so uh, uh, you know, call me a non-traditionalist, but uh, I liked last year. Good. That well, that I'm happy to that. If you could change any one thing, then I'm assuming what you would do is run the races a little bit later in the year to give the horses more time to, you know, to get older. Uh, yes, and and you know, even though I, uh, you know, I I hate to tamper with the triple crown in, in the sense that you know you you want modern day horses to take on the you know, to take on the same challenges that Secretariat and Citation yeah. took on. The fact is that uh, the trainers today uh, want to race their horses with much more time between races, and they don't want to come back in, in two weeks. And uh, uh, and so the races, uh, you know, after the Derby re- really kind of suffer. I mean, the, the you know, the Preakness is all, has become a kind of an afterthought after the Derby. I mean, only the Derby winner really cares about it. And then you come to the Belmont and people say, well, it's a mile and a half. Uh, you know, I don't want to do that. I, you know, it, 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 I think it could be reconfigured uh, uh, and, and improved. Uh, this is a, a very uh, probably potentially stupid question, but I will ask it anyway. It, it occurs to me they're going to have a lot of people at the Kentucky Derby, as they always do. But I don't know that they've had a lot of crowds at any of the walk-up races to the Kentucky Derby. Are yeah. horses indeed affected by throngs of people, huge crowds? Are they affected by that? I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. But but the uh, uh, but the um, uh, you know the uh, you know every 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 state and every racetrack at different times of the year have, have had different rules governing the crowds and. Uh, you know, at Churchill today, they're gonna, uh, and tomorrow they're gonna they're gonna have about forty five thousand people instead of the, you know, the usual uh, mob scene of one hundred sixty thousand. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you know, it, at least it would, it will, at least it will have the, uh, you know, the feel, uh, uh, you know, of you know of of, of a big event. The uh, you know the interesting thing about what's happened with the uh, you know, with, with racetracks n- not running, you know, in, in front of people, is that the uh, that racing has actually done okay financially because with so many other sports having been shut down and curtailed, people sitting at home saying, what am I going to do? People are sitting at home, you know, betting over their computers. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of like obscure tracks are, are, were, have been handling, you know, a, a, you know, a stunning amount of money. Uh, uh, so, so people are betting and, and, and the game is, is, surviving you know with uh you know without a hundred thousand people in the grandstand but i think we'll be getting back to the the old normal relatively soon so i walk into this derby knowing virtually nothing i didn't keep track of the horses the races that usually lead up to it i've been lost in it 
I found out the other day that the favorite um, is in the 14 hole. I think I read this, that only twice in the history of the Kentucky Derby has the favorite in the 14 won, and that the last time may have been in the 1960s. Tell us the not, names not, of the horses. Not a, not a, not a consequential statistic, by the way. Okay, yeah. not consequential. Okay, then tell us the horses that we should be looking for and give us the race plan and pick a winner for us. Thanks. Okay. The, I mean, the horse you, you, you mentioned, uh, essential quality, uh, uh, is the, the favorite. Uh, I mean, he's, he's won all five of his starts. He was the two-year-old champion last year. Got a good trainer in Brad Cox. To me, he looks just like another one of the good horses. There are six or eight horses who've got speed figures pretty similar, who have just seem to me have roughly equal levels of ability. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 this is a, a minority view, but I look at this record and I say, I don't see anything all that special about him. What What is special is that there is a... Uh, uh, a man in 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 Houston, Texas, named uh, 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 James Mackenvale, known down there as Mattress Mac, uh, because he runs a huge mattress store, and he's having a promotion that if you buy a mattress between now and the Kentucky Derby, it will be free if Essential Quality wins the Derby. You get all wow. your money back, and you keep your mattress. And to cover his, and to cover his investment, and or what he might lose on the mattresses, he's going to bet about two million dollars to win on essential quality. I think this is a very nice sporting proposition. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, I like one, that. One of the more interesting stories of this race. What. Um, you know the rest of the field is I mean there's just nobody who 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 stands who stands out to me the the standout horse of the generation was a Bob Baffert trained colt named Life is Good who won all three of his starts he ran a speed figure that was you know by far better than anybody else and then he got hurt and uh, he he's out of the race, and nobody has kind of risen up anywhere near that level. So I, I don't think we've got a superstar in this race, but maybe I have a winner. Uh, life is uh, good, has a stable mate, Medina Spirit, who actually ran, <clears throat> ran second to uh, life is good in California twice, and ran you know good solid races, and then you know ran in the uh, in the key California prep race for the Kentucky Derby, uh, which is the Santa Anita Derby, and it was a day when the rail was a real advantage at Santa Anita. Every race on the dirt was won by a horse who was on or near the rail. And Medina Spirit got hung out wide and was, you know, he was beaten by about four and a half lengths. And his stock has really, really dropped. But I, I, I consider that loss a little bit of an aberration. The rest of his record is very good. I mean, he, he, you know, he ran creditably against Life is Good when Life is Good was at his best. Uh, it, he, he's trained by Bob Baffert, the king of derby trainers, 
and uh, he, you know, he's run a speed figure is at least as good as most of the, the horses in this race, and he's fifteen to one in the morning line. So Medina Spirit is my shot for glory on Saturday. Andy, that is great. Thank you so much for doing this. We'll do it again before the Preakness, okay? We are definitely on. Andy Byer, boys and girls, this is, I mean, there's nothing I could say that's going to be as good as what Andy can say. I did. I do have the sense that, you know, that not that the Kentucky Derby snuck up on me, but the Kentucky Derby is always run on the first Saturday in May, and this is one of those odd years, you know, it's 7-1 to one against this, obviously, that it would be the first day of May as well. And as I said, I hadn't kept up with the other things, but Andy's giving you Medina spirit and talking you off essential quality and talking you on to Bob Baffert, which is good. And I think that probably George Mallet is happy about this, um, that, <laughs> that he got to hear Andy, right? I mean, that's what I would think. I think we should all should be happy when we get to hear Andy. All right, so we will take a break. Uh, when we come back, Jason Lacomfora will look at the first uh, round of the draft. We are guest loaded today. It's one of those days, and I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Okay, so this is the new Hera ad, and I'm sitting across from Michael, and I'm looking at Michael, and Michael knows that I'm going to say, why don't we do this? Why don't we get these hearing amplification buds in my ear? And then Michael said, well, every time I want to do this, you have to go see a doctor, you have to go someplace. And so it's, it's my already, fault. It's already synced to your phone, Bluetooth enabled. Oh, Wait, so I have to I have to hold my phone with oh, me? Th- this is not the time and place. I just don't understand that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's you're good. Okay. It's Tony here. I've got something new to share that will make tuning into the show even better. And it says I'm using. I'm not quite using yet. I want to be using the new Hera IQ Buds 2 Max, the next generation of hearable technology that gives you the power to alter your soundscape. And it then asks the, sh- the host to share more personal experiences. We did this once. We put them in my ears. And if you recall, I said, these are great. I can hear everything. But then something happened. We got tripped up when I tried to toggle between different features by tapping on the earbud. Right. But to, the great joy was when I started blasting Springsteen. Yeah. So, I mean, I can hear things and what? this would make me happy. I can hear it. I can hear it. Yeah. This would make, <laughs> that's all I want. I just want to be able to hear things. You just walked around the, you walked around the front yard going, nope, don't got it. Nothing's changed. <laughs> Nothing as you were tapping, tapping, tapping. I think I tapped too much. I think you were tapping on, then tapping off. Yeah, right. So, I mean, that was stupid. And this is new to who, that I was stupid. You're going to be blown away with the IQ Buds 2 Max. It's no wonder they were selected as one of Time's best inventions in 2020. Experience the world's most advanced hearing bud for yourself. Go to newhera.com to order today. Let me spell this for you. N-U-H-E-A-R-A.com, newhera. Obviously, this means you're going to get to hear for new for the first time in a long time. One more time to newhera.com to experience the magic of IQ Buds to Max. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a group called Goings. They're based in Philadelphia. They had a record earlier in the year called It's For You. And they give us permission to play the, their songs. There's Aiden Rogers and Keith Rogers and Jack Mydell and Kyle Bossler and Chris Kearney. And this is called Elevator. And this is being used as we play in Jason Locke and Fora of CBS Sports to tell us all about what happened in the draft last night. I bailed out 
I think I bailed out after after the tight end was picked. Maybe I waited one more time. I, I bailed out early. Um, I, I just cared because of the events of yesterday, Jason. I cared to see who the 49ers would take, thinking sure. if they actually didn't take a quarterback, then maybe they had a deal on the spot yeah. for Aaron Rodgers. And when they took Lance and everybody said, oh, Lance, you know, and I didn't care because it meant they had no deal. So before we yeah. get into the nitty gritty of the first round, where does the Aaron Rodgers thing in your mind stand? And most importantly, do you think Aaron Rodgers will start the season with the Green Bay Packers? I think that's far from certain. Um, uh, we've talked about this in the past. This is a guy who, if you if you want to bang heads with him, if you want to do anything that he would perceive as picking a fight with him, you you you, you go low. He will go lower. You you yeah. you you better make sure you strapped it on because um, once you run afoul of him, once you get on his list, it, it's difficult, if not impossible, to to get off of it. And, and, and when everything goes the way it did and he has the season he had and the coach does what he does at the end, th- there's a reason teams started calling the Packers, you know, the first couple days after that loss because they saw the signal Rodgers was sending. They knew what was coming and he had assembled his powder keg. And at some point it was going to go from, word games and I don't control my future and the future is uncertain and I don't know what tomorrow brings and all the passive aggressive word games he's playing with his buddy, um, you know, McAfee. And, Pat McAfee, and, yeah. You know, yeah. it was going to go from that to he was going to eventually light that powder keg and it was going to explode. They put his career in Green Bay on the clock at this time last year and he viewed that, as I reported in real time, as an ambush. And he was going to do that to them. And he chose the most inopportune time for them, but the best time for him, which is right. the NFL draft day. And, and it's, it's a media bonanza. And that's when he takes it from passive-aggressive to aggressive-aggressive. Can they put all that, that genie back in the bottle? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, Tony. Um, he, he, this is the kind of guy who could sit out a year or two really make life miserable for them. They eventually relent, and he comes back and, and still thinks, I, I, I've got another MVP season in me. You know, is he going to get the host Jeopardy? I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't watch Jeopardy. I really don't know how he did versus anybody else. I really don't know what they think of him. But it's a pretty unique leverage to have. And he sees people like Pat McAfee who are doing incredibly well, doing their own thing in the media. And this guy will have no shortage of ways to feed himself. Uh, you know, and, and, and drag the Packers in real time. And he also saw Jordan Love every single day. And this guy is a hawk. This guy is meticulous. This guy is calculated. He, he knows exactly what Jordan Love is and isn't. He knows exactly how close Jordan Love is or isn't to being a functioning NFL quarterback, let alone a winning NFL quarterback. Um and he, he was going to call their bluff, and he called it. And, you know, Denver, the Raiders, do I think it's San Francisco now? No. Um, is it probably Chicago now? Probably not. New Orleans? I don't know. They could probably put a trade together. Um, it's, it's, going, it's already messy. It's going to get incredibly messy. 
I don't see him relenting anytime soon. Um, and just throwing money at it at this point, I mean, that might eventually get it settled, maybe somewhere real far down the line. But he's, he, he, I'm telling you, he's going to enjoy dragging Mark Murphy and Russ Ball and all those suits over there. He's going to enjoy this. And they're not. Um, the pick that San Francisco made, it doesn't, doesn't really matter to me if it's the right pick or the wrong pick. What I want to get to is do you think there was great disappointment that they had to make the pick, that they couldn't make the deal for Rodgers? Do you think they thought they could have made that deal? Um, well, they were trying to get Rodgers before they moved up, you know? So right. I, I think they had reached a point where, okay, it, this, that thing over there is, is toxic and it's probably broken, but... We, you know, we, we can't wait until we, you know, we, we can't pass on all these quarterbacks right. um, and then see if they want to move them, you know, in July or August. And then now we've got to move Garoppolo and we're just giving him away. And so, I, trust me, they tried. The Rams tried. There were a number of teams in the direct aftermath of that playoff loss who yeah. gave it a shot and then some gave it a shot again. Um. But in the meantime, they had this kid who they really liked. And, and I, I did not buy the Mac Jones stuff, Tony, up until that disastrous press conference a few days ago, where my instincts told me that can't be performance art. I looked at that as a visceral reaction to all these people saying, you know, you, it, Mac Jones would be terrible. And if you get Mac Jones, then you're going to trade Garoppolo because Mac Jones is the one who's actually ready. He's supposed to be, you know, the most pro-ready other than Lawrence because he processes and, you know, this and that. Um, and the way he talked about Garoppolo, the way that they moved from what their stance had been to, well, we all might die by Sunday. Right. I right. was like, okay, well, then maybe they really are taking Mac Jones because there was no reason to set off this powder keg with Garoppolo uh, unless you really were about to do something highly unconventional. And it turned out, you know, Lance was their guy. All the, all the narratives and subterfuge kind of worked to just build the mystery and build the drama, and they weren't going to do anything to, uh, to counter that. I think Trey Lance makes a whole lot more sense for them than Mac Jones. I think if you are carrying Garoppolo for another year and red-shirting Lance, I'll buy that. You know, trying to pull that off with Mac Jones, I, I think, was courting disaster. Um, I think Trey Lance has infinitely more upside than Mac Jones. And I think a quarterback like Trey Lance, once he's ready to play, once he's a little more experienced, what he can give you in the run game, plus what Shanahan already schemes up in the run game, I think could be really interesting. He's super raw. How soon will he be ready? Um, you're still, there's a lot of projections that go into it without a doubt. Uh, but that's just from a common sense football sense standpoint for the price they paid to move up. I don't think you pay that price for Mac Jones, who I don't think Mac Jones is going to be all that different year four than year one. You know what I mean? I just I don't think he's he's not a transformational athlete. I think he's he's a baseline. And if he is who you think he is, he's going to be a very good quarterback. I, you know, I don't think he has the potential for greatness the way a Trey Lance might. Are the, did the order of the quarterbacks take in surprise you? Well, yeah, because I allowed myself to, to be convinced right, on that Jones, right. Jones was going three. Right. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, I didn't think Fields was going to be uh, 
the last one. Like that that part. Like there, I'm like, there's no way they're going to take four quarterbacks before this kid. I right. was not buying that. Um, and I do still firmly believe if Trevor Lawrence wasn't such a thing, if he weren't just sort of the face of college football and, you know, the best seventh-grade quarterback in the world, the best eighth-grade quarterback in the world, the best ninth-grade quarterback in the world, the best freshman quarterback in the world, the best sophomore quarterback in the world, the best junior quarterback in the world. Like, if he – if it's anything but that, and even with all that, if you gave Urban Meyer a truth serum, I think there'd be a big part of him that still would be like, man, I, I really want to do this with Justin Fields. Um, but because of every because Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence, that wasn't going to happen. But I would not – I would not bet against Justin Fields whatsoever. Now, do I think that group over there in Chicago can incubate him and do it right and build it up and everything? I have my druthers, but I'm also not sure how long they're going to be with him beyond this year anyway. Uh, But I I really was super intrigued by Justin Fields. I applaud Chicago for making that move. I wasn't sure ownership was going to allow them to mortgage more future capital to go after a quarterback. Yeah, considering how yeah. much they botched that position the through the draft yeah. and trades and everything yeah. else, you know, but they did. And I think long-term, if it's done right, it'll serve the organization well. Okay. Let me get to one other thing that I found intriguing. Devonte Smith was the Heisman trophy winner. He was the best wide receiver over the course of the season. He was the third wide receiver taken, including behind a guy on his own team at Alabama. And by the way, the, Backstage shots is like eighty Alabama people that are going in the yeah, first round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What will is that a mistake in the order of the wide receivers? Was that a mistake? It was a crimson room, not a green room. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was a mistake or not. You know, it's it's. I, I think Chase was the was clearly the one, and then after that, it just depends how comfortable, how much do you value the return stuff? How comfortable are you with a guy who might be? playing at 165 pounds. Um, it's just all, you know, and, and Nick Saban talked about that young man in a way that he, he, you know, he doesn't quite gush about that many players the way he did that kid. And I think that kid is, is a warrior. I wouldn't bet against him whatsoever. Um, I, I, just, I just wouldn't. But am I stunned that he's the third one? No, I think it was a coin flip between him and, and Waddle, and it just depends on, you know, what you're looking for, what your scheme is, which one you think you can unlock more. Um, but there was no, no doubt in my mind that the three receivers were gone um, within the first 12 picks of this draft. It's just right. was a matter of, um, you know, sort of in, in what order. Would Mike Brown take an offensive lineman? to protect his quarterback rather than Chase, you know, and then if that happens, then Chase was going six. If that didn't happen, then Miami was taking one of the Alabama receivers. It was just a matter of which one. And the Giants and the Eagles were looking to pounce on that third one, whoever he was, if he got there. And, um, you know, obviously Philadelphia made a move to get ahead of them uh, in New York for a reason. And then New York traded down and still took a receiver. Very interesting to me that each one of these receivers is reunited with a quarterback from yeah. the school that they attended each one. It's really, yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah. I, I'll get you out of here on this. Um, well, I, I, I want you to plug the radio show, but, but this question, you've been on the Russell Wilson thing for an awfully long time. Mm-hmm. Is Russell Wilson staying in Seattle? Um, Russell's not going to do like, he, he's not going to go scorched earth like Aaron Rodgers. That's just not okay. him. That's not his makeup. They're, 
those guys have um, their competitive natures are very similar, but sort of their, their brands and their messaging and, and sort of how they take on um, problems or potential problems is, is very different. So I, I, do I think he's going to be there for the duration of that contract? I don't. Um, you know, I think a, a lot of things would have to change in that building, um, how they do things, some interpersonal dynamics um, would have to change. Uh, the offensive line is going to have to prove to be much better. You know, he's going to have to not be running for his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you add all that up, I, I, I do. I, I look at that um, kind of like the Matt Stafford situation of a year ago where it doesn't really, it's not super ugly and messy like this Green Bay thing. Um, you know, they quietly can, can envision themselves, though they won't admit it publicly now, a life with beyond Russell Wilson with the bonanza of draft picks and players um, attached. And I think, you know, he and his family can definitely privately envision a future outside of Seattle. Okay. All right. Plug your pod, your podcast. It's my podcast. Plug your radio show. Um, thanks, Tone. Uh, if you want more NFL draft yeah, uh, yeah. yammering, and particularly with a Baltimore bent, then please uh, check me out from 2 to 6 weekdays on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore or www. Dot 1057thefan.com anywhere in the world. And uh, we'll talk a little O's as well as we always do um, and try not to say anything too stupid along the way. I appreciate you, Tone. Thank you, Jason. You are the greatest. Jason Lockton for our boys and girls. We will take a break. We will come back. Adam Ferrara will join us. He's going to do live comedy with live people in the audience. We're going to ask him what that's like after so long of not being able to do it. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. We are officially in it. It's grass growing season, and this is yes. the Sunday read. So they want me to talk about some of the pesky problems I'm trying to get rid of this season. And for me, number one is bear patches, followed by, you know, the pesky the pesky weeds that we get uh, every sort of, every year. I should tell people who live in the country, it's B-A-R-E patches, not B. E-A-R patches. Oh, I could see how you could, yeah, right, you could, you could misinterpret that. Yeah. Right. So you see your lawn thrive this spring with your own custom lawn care plan from Sunday. Sunday is more than just a lawn care product. It's a custom lawn care plan with a variety of ways to help you grow beautiful lawn, control weeds, and remove pests. They take out all the guesswork and unwanted chemicals so you can grow a beautiful lawn that's better for people, pets, and the planet. I'm focusing on the people, particularly two little boys. That's right. You want them to the be safe. As they play stinky and dirty in the grass you and the bushes. You want them to be safe. So they want me to talk about what we like most. Honestly, it's it really is the ease of use this time of year because you want to you want to spend time enjoying the yard rather than actually doing the yard work, and you really just can't get past the natural ingredients. It's great to see. Uh, if you've tried the Sunday add-ons like their weed control, seeds, or pest control, they want me to share my experience. They have these um, little add-ons for. Uh, it almost looks like a little spritz bottle that you can use to target specific weeds, so you don't have to sort of over overthrow out like a weed killer, but it targets exactly what you need. So you don't have to worry that it's going to be doing too much damage uh, in addition to what you want it to get rid of. Sunday makes taking care of your lawn easier than ever. You just go to sunday.com, put your home address in, and then their free lawn lawn analysis tool takes care of all the rest in just seconds. They use soil and climate data to create a tailored nutrient plan. So all you... So you get all the stuff your lawn needs and nothing it doesn't. And this, when you actually when you actually take the sample and send it up, that's when it gets really interesting. So yeah. you see what's really going on in your in your grass. 
Sunday is made with ingredients that you can actually pronounce, like seaweed, iron, and molasses, so you can grow better and feel better about it. They explain exactly what you get and why, and everything is waiting at your door when you need it. All you have to do is attach the ready-to-use uh, ready to use pouch to a garden hose and, and spray. Lawn care used to take up my whole day. Now it just takes less than 15 minutes. Best of all, this stuff really works. Dad can attest to that because he's been to our house. Beautiful. He's sometimes Lawn invited. is beautiful. Well, he just I'm sometimes, jealous. He sometimes shows up. And our grass looks better than ever. <laughs> Let Sunday take the guesswork out of growing a greener, more beautiful lawn this spring. Visit GetSunday.com slash Tony to get $20 off your custom lawn plan at checkout. That's $20 off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash Tony. Use the code, people. Use the code. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is the Philadelphia-based band Goings. This is a song called Trying, Dying. This is... This is really interesting music. Michael, when people like Goings, when people who do independent music send us their music to get it played, how do they walk them through that? Walk, oh, you've changed the way that you, uh, yeah. that you ask for this. Yeah. Well, you, first you write the email, then you send the email. Yeah. So send us an email, <laughs> jingles at com. Very nice. Goings, lovely band. He threw me for a loop with that one. They're playing in Adam Ferrara, who's actually going to go to work. He's many things. He's an actor. He's a podcaster. He writes his own material. But number one, he's a comedian. And in order to be a comedian, you got to perform in front of live people. I mean, you can do it any other way, but then it's like being in a movie. It's not quite the same. So you're going to work. Tell us where you're going to work. Tell us if you're nervous about working. And tell us what you've been doing that isn't exactly, you know, the way comedians like to do it. Uh, well, first of all, good morning. Hi, Michael. Hi, Tony. Good to talk to you guys again. I am working. I'm at the Draft House in Arlington tonight and tomorrow night. And then um, next week, May. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a fun gig. And I think uh, May 6th through 8th, I'm at uh, the new, uh, new club in Richmond called the Sandman. So I will be there May 6th through 8th. And I've been working. You know, I, you do the Zoom shows. And... They're not that, they took a little getting used to, um, but as long as people keep like their mics on and stuff, you can get some, uh, you can get a rhythm, you know, and uh, thank God because of the podcast, I'm used to sitting, because um, that's how I conducted the interviews, so I, I kind of got a basis for that. Um, I did Arizona, I did the improv in Arizona, um, and their theory was, what pandemic? You know, that was just <laughs> wide open. Yeah. They just didn't care. Don't. He just showed up and, you know, walk it off. You know, they didn't. But they were wearing, you had to wear your mask. I bought my own microphone. That was the first thing I did is I bought my own. So I would travel with my own mic. Um, and the gigs themselves, everyone was really respectful and trying to do the live gigs. But it was a lot like, like church. You know, no one really knew what to do. You know, you, you watched some old lady, and when she stood up and sat down, that's what you did, you know. So everyone wore the masks, and, uh, and there was limited seatings uh, when I did Denver. Um, the hardest, the scariest part, Tom, was the traveling. Um, yeah. To be on an airplane, because nobody knew. I mean, you didn't travel, right? No, I didn't go anywhere. I'm still in my house. I never leave. Yeah, no, I traveled. <laughs> First of all, and the airports were great. I mean, I actually called up, and uh, I got someone on the phone, and I'm like, you know, what time was... The flight, and they were like, "Hey, what time can you be here? We'll wait. <laughs> yeah. We got, we have nothing to do." Um, and they give you when you get on the plane, they give you the stuff to de uh, sanitize, you know, to wipe everything down. So uh, yeah, that's the most stressful thing because you got to wear your mask uh, the whole time. And there was a lady behind me on the plane, actually, just you know, coughing, which was kind of odd. Ooh, ooh. Every yeah, no, you don't oh, want that. 
No, everyone was yeah. looking at her, and we all felt terrible, but, you know, she had to die. So. Yeah, she had to be thrown off the plane, like in the Matt Damon CIA movie. She had to be thrown off the plane. Let, let me go back on a couple of things. Mm-hmm. I find Zoom so freakish and reprehensible that I will not take part in anything that has to do with Zoom. You're saying that how how is how did it work for you? You're saying it wasn't terrible. You could no, actually hear people laugh. Yeah. People leave their mics on so you could get a sense of rhythm and timing, and it was a conversation. And I was doing my interviews over Zoom, so I was having a conversation, um, so I was kind of used to it. And I think really what helped me, uh, and I only knew this in contrast, was because I was going there to make people laugh and to, right. you know, to feed off their energy. It's when I had to have like, meetings on Zoom. Like, I actually go to therapy over Zoom because my shrink, my shrink is, a, is, a, is a 70-year-old Jewish guy who yells at me. So... <laughs> Yeah, I can do that. I can do it for you. If you ever need one, I'll scream at you. And I'm old and seven. So, yeah. So. I actually, sometimes I'll end this session early. I'm like, all right, that's all the time we have for today, Marty. That's enough. I don't need to be scolded anymore. But when I, went, when I was going on with an agenda, it was a little bit easier. When I had to interact and get, you know, that and listen, that was kind of kind of strange. Um, because, you know, my ADD wanted, so I'm talking to my shrink and I'm, I'm in his house now. So I'm thinking to myself, he didn't read those books. That's a bunch of crap. <laughs> Nigel said that you worked a drive-in. Nigel yeah, said you worked a weird. Explain that. First, well, first comes that uh, I did it for the Boys and Girls Club in San Diego. So you get a call. They set you up. Uh, the drive-in shows up, and you do your, you do your act through um, their sound system. So you're coming out through the radio. And you're on, it's a driving tone, you're standing there. I'm, my head is on, on the screen. My mole looks like a ring ding. It's huge. It's like, <laughs> I'm actually looking at myself on the big screen like, I got to get that checked. I never saw that up close before. <laughs> so what they do is they, uh, they sit in their cars and they honk the horns and blink the lights instead of laughing and clapping. So it, it, it's like working on coming traffic. <laughs> and, just, uh, I, I mean, it, saved, well, the thing that saved me with it was, was the... Um, the uh, uh, pickup truck dudes came down from Top Gear, and they parked their truck backwards, and they, they took out lawn chairs and sat in the beds of the truck and watched the show. So I could see and hear the laughter, so I got a sense of rhythm. I, I mean, I don't know if people understand this. That not everybody has an occasion to get up in front of a bunch of people. I've had mm-hmm. it many times in my life, and laughter, l- laughter is so affirming if you're if you're up there laughter lets yeah. you know it's okay and laughter gets you over your nervousness and laughter is what obviously you're there to do as a comedian and if you don't have p- live people in front of you laughing or even if they're there and they have masks you just say well you must have said what in god's name am i doing here this is not what comedy's supposed to be well, the good, the good news is they, they took their masks off. I don't, know, I don't know how the virus knows when you're eating or drinking. Like, ah, we can't infect them now. But they did take their masks off if you're eating and drinking. So I'm on the stage without a mask. The, um, at, the, uh, uh, at the improv, there's actually plexiglass between each, um, between each table. Um, so you can see them laugh. But I'll be honest with you, the people getting over stuff together. I did a show outdoors uh, in Royersford, Pennsylvania, by the railroad tracks. Now, Italians don't like going down by the railroad tracks because we don't think we're coming back, you know. But, but it was outside, and it was, 
you was bring your own booze, bring your own chairs, and it was a lot of pe- and it was November, so it was cold, but everybody was getting through it together, and that was not lost on me. I did an hour on stage outside, so the, this car alarm's going off. I had an improv for five minutes with that. My nose is running, but there was a genuine sense of community that I, that I really think made this, the show better. So I would think there's this terrible buzzing. Sean, you got yeah. that buzzing under control. Let, let me go back on this. I would think that people really, really, really want to laugh, but their lives have been so disrupted that maybe they don't know if they should laugh. Has it changed? Like, will you do an entire set about the virus and fears about the virus? Uh, well, I have, I have some material on the virus, you know, on, on yeah. how life was different from the virus. Yeah. But it's not, it's not the whole thing. It's not the whole set because it's still like once, once we acknowledge everything and we're all on the same page, you know, my show's kind of, uh, I, I work the crowd a lot, so it depends where it takes me. But there's some stuff, but not, it's not totally on that. Um, and, and it's nice to, if I could acknowledge something that someone else is feeling, that's the best laugh tone. So it's like, you know, if someone else is putting on a little weight because of the virus, I know I am. I, I, yeah. There's a fat, naked man that lives in my mirror, Tony. He looks <laughs> just like me, and he's getting bigger. Um, I would so think that, have, have you talked, Adam, have you talked to your friends who are comedians? Is there some general consensus that this has been tough or not tough or not as tough as people think? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been, well, it's been odd for everybody. So it's it, it just, you know, I had Louis Anderson on the show. He's my Mother's Day show, and he's in Vegas, and I was talking to him. Um, and he's like, you know, I don't, I'll go out when, I don't, I'm not going to go out till it's really safe and I don't have to go out. Right. Uh, right. But I do realize how much I miss connect, that that connection, you know, that audience. I mean, we all have to have to just you know adapt and overcome. It's like you know, you you've been in the attic for how long? It's, all, it's a year. It's a year. Yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah it's a year. But I, I um, mean, I, I, I've been able to do the jobs that I do with very yeah. little disruption. I've been extraordinarily lucky. Your job is based on physical interaction with people it's different yeah yeah well well yeah but it's, it's also it's like this is an ideal the phone calls are an ideal i used to love coming into the studio making you laugh and and seeing your face making michael laugh and everybody and seeing yeah. there's, there's a certain energy when we're all in the room together so it is it is a lot different now this is like sometimes it's really it's like dribbling a basketball on a waterbed it's just it ain't coming back to you you know um but i i found that People wanting to get through it together kind of actually helps if you can hook into that energy of, of people wanting to overcome. And I, I imagine, I imagine you're excited. I, I imagine yeah. you're excited to play, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like I, I when I was like like I said the improv before, and I have a couple of dates coming. I'm back on Long Island. I'm doing a brokerage in uh, in Belmore one night, uh, but some places are limited audience and some aren't. So. You know, it's it's a strange kind of you're like a deer walking on the ice, just trying to figure everything out. And the club owners are trying to figure out too. You know, we're all trying to. Get well, there's all together. all this notion of of everything is reopening. You know, and I think the older you are, you're a little bit more reluctant to to get out and and resume your life in the way that your life was. But I, I mean, in in your job, I would imagine it just feels great to be in front of people and hear them laugh, and that must yeah. feel great. Oh, it, it, yeah, it, it puts it puts it really does put. Uh, uh, you, oh, okay, I remember this. That's the nice thing too is when I did it, it was like, oh, okay, it, it came right back. The muscle memory right. came right back, 
and that was uh, that was that pleased me a great deal because you know you don't know you don't know you're, if if you can't have that that reassurance of like and I was touring every week, Tom. You know, every yeah. Thursday I was going to an airport. You know, so it was uh, it was a big adjustment. All right, plug plug your appearances, please, and plug your podcast for us. Thank you, my friend. I will be at the Draft House tonight uh, and tomorrow night in Arlington. I'll be at the Sandman Comedy Club 6 through 8 May in Richmond. Um, this week is Frank Caliendo on the podcast. Uh, next week is Louie Anderson for my, uh, for my Mother's Day show. Um, and uh, the Tony Kornheiser episode is still up there. And Wilbon did one for me, too, so that was a lot of fun. So I, I heard the clip, the Caliendo clip of Caliendo doing Barkley, and it's, yeah. it's actually uncanny. It's actually <laughs> yeah. uncanny, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, he's so good, man. I met him, so I, I met him. We we have a, we have a different recollection of where we first met. He thinks we both met each other in Florida. I remember um, Columbus, Ohio, and and he said, "Can I go up and do a set?" I said, "Sure, pal." And he went up and did the entire cast of Seinfeld, like spot on tone. This was before he was even doing Madden. And I was like, "Oh my god, this was just a yeah. whirlwind." Yeah, and his Morgan Freeman is great too. He's he's absolutely great. I um, sneaky short. Uh, people should know yeah. that he's a, yeah. he's a tiny guy, but he he gets everybody perfectly. It's such a not to digress, but but mm-hmm. when you do impersonations, it's such a wonderful talent. But it's such a small talent, and I, I don't mean small in the sense that it's not meaningful. It's just it's just so specific and exact, and it's not mm-hmm. it's not like acting it's just sort of different right i mean people have to yeah. want to hear these people but it's uncanny yeah. what frank does is the voices are so good but then he can improv in the voice he which can. is you know some people just do the straight thing he actually can improv in the voice um and he's a pretty good actor too i mean we're talking about you know you want to talk about uh, working in this environment i did um an episode of ncis uh like december in the height of everything um and it was, it's not like it used to be because you, you have to get a test every day and you can't mingle on the set the way we used to. You know, you can't go to makeup, you can't go to wardrobe, right. you know, say hello. Right. So you had to sit in your trailer. So they put me in my trailer. They, gave, they give you a mask and they give you a face shield. And one person at a time in makeup, well, because I was just doing a guest spot, I didn't get the regular makeup guy. I got the guy that does the cadavers. So <laughs> I was in, the, there's, there's a dead body laying in there. And the guy's putting makeup on me, and I was like, do you do this a lot? He's like, well, not on the living. You know? So we all had to actually just get, get through that um, our, ourselves. But it was a lot of fun to do. And Very weird. The, thing is, Very the other thing about not having the connection, uh, just, just to go back and not having the connection to do it, and, and people getting through it, the same. It, it's like you, there's, there's things that pop up that you didn't know were going to be a problem. Like they gave you the face mask, and I'm, I'm fogging this thing up like Andy Reid. Everyone else is sitting there, and you can't hear anything, so rehearsal is just like you're staggering around what they ended up doing in the scene with the uh, interrogation scene. They just put up a piece of plexiglass, and we took everything off, and we got to, we got to get around it that way. So they made that adjustment. It's very well. weird, very weird. I'm happy you're back working. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Good luck. Always good to talk to you guys. Be well, Michael. I'll talk to you guys soon. Adam Ferrara, boys and girls, we will take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. We're going to have to have a new one next week because this says April means a lot of not-so-fun things, and April's over today. Getting fooled, getting rained on, getting your taxes done. 
If you need a positive experience to balance it all out, consider shopping for home and auto insurance at Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com, answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property. Policy Genius will take it from there. They will compare rates from America's top insurers from Progressive to Allstate to find your lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team will look at ways to maximize your savings, including bundling your home and auto policies. If Policy Genius finds a better rate than what you're paying now, they'll switch you over for free. And that kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Policy Genius can promise that you won't leave their website feeling like a fool. They've saved customers up to $1,055 per year compared to their current home and auto policies. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. P-O-L-I-C-Y, policygenius.com. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. That's Brandon Costello, who used to be Brandon S. Bowker. Or Boker. Now he's uh, Brandon S. Boker. Now he's Brandon Costello. That was lovely. Thank you so much for that. Nigel, you want to do the uh, Bethesda Bagel read? Yes, thank you, Mr. Tony. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, and then uh, pop on in and you'll be thrilled. We've got the bagels today. We had the bagel sandwiches earlier this week. But either yep. way, we leave with smiles. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag in honor of Andy Byer, let me just say I got the horse right here. The name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the weather's clear, can do, can do. This guy says the horse can do. That is a song called Fugue for Tin Horns, and it opens up. What is the play that it opens up? Guys and Dolls, um, right? Guys and Dolls, which is just tremendous, tremendous. My Uncle Arnie once sang that at a camp production, and everybody in the, in the camp went crazy because here's the owner of the camp singing this song. Thanks to our guest today, the great Andy Byer, Jason LaConfora, Adam Ferrara. Thanks as well to our sponsors today, Sunday, Policy Genius, and New Hero. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. We have. I, I just wanted to say this. I got this lovely, long note from Peter Sanders, who was a dear friend of Rob 80s, who was my dear friend, inviting Michael and I to play golf at his club, Stanwich, in Stamford, Connecticut, which is a very well-known club. And he talked at great length about his relationship with Rob. And Rob, of course, gave people nicknames all the time. So he met this kid, Peter Sanders, and immediately called him the Colonel. And he was the Colonel <laughs> for the rest of his life. He was the Colonel. It's a lovely email. From Scott Shepard uh, in Columbia, in Maryland, not the South American country. After not writing to the show since you were at the ESPN uh, Zone, I felt Sports the, Zone. Sports Zone. I felt the need to chime in on all the Havelina talk. About 20 <laughs> years ago, I was on a wanderlust journey around the United States that brought me to Big Bend National Park at the southernmost point of Texas. Through poor planning and arrogance, I arrived in late July in 100-plus temperatures. As I set up, I quickly realized I was the only camper in a vast campground. Indeed, outside of a couple of ranchers who ferried tourists back and forth across the Rio Grande, the only company I had were the hundreds of Havelinas that roamed carefree around the campground. While their numbers could be intimidating, they generally avoided me and I didn't bother them. That night as I climbed into my bag, I was lulled to sleep by the steady grunts of the Havelina pack, called the Squadron, as we have learned. However, at about 1 a.m., I was awoken, or awakened, not by a grunt or a oink, but rather by a roar, followed by a hellish squeal. 
My immediate assumption was that one of the local mountain lions had elected to have one of my javelina friends for a midnight snack. I proceeded to spend the next couple of hours attempting but failing to sleep in my car. Ultimately, I gave up through my camping gear in the back and drove on to New Mexico. The lesson for the Wilbon family is that you do not need to fear being attacked by the javelina, but rather being attacked by what is attacking the javelina, which I think is true. From Cheeve in Somerville, Massachusetts, please tell Michael, he did a great job with the Me Undies read last week. Although I did get a little nervous at the end when you mentioned caveats bouncing around in an underpants read. Personally, I prefer my underwear to keep my caveats in place. From um, Greg, Gregory Tarr in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a loyal little, well, not so little, I'm 6'6". Six, six. Hey, Belushi, was that Harper College or Faber College you went to wearing capes and stealing food from the cafeteria? Next, you'll tell me there's a dead horse in the dean's office. From Jeff McAleer in Springfield, Virginia, size 10 and a half. I'd like to invite you and the whole gang to the ceremony in which I will become related by marriage to the woman who lives in my house. For the weekend of May 18th, we've rented the entire grounds of a summer camp north of Baltimore, where we will have guests for the entire weekend sleeping in camp cabins designed for teenagers. We'll play capture the flag and disc golf and any number of other outdoor festive activities. Indoors, I'm sure we'll find space for steal the bacon. I'm even, even arranged to have Mark Schaefer, the official chaplain of Tony Kornheiser's show, perform the ceremony, though I was unable to get a helicopter piloting veterinarians to drop in. Of course, I realize there's very little chance you will attend, so I hope you don't mind that it took place in 2013 and I never got around to inviting him. <laughs> From John Fagan in Denora, Pennsylvania, which I believe is the boyhood home of Stan Musial. I was listening the other day and you commented on gators on the golf course. Me and my brother-in-law were playing the witch. Do you know that, Michael, in South Carolina, the witch? And were chatting with a couple of groundskeepers after they ridiculed me for wearing an undershirt with my polo in the South, which is frowned upon in the South in the summer, I guess. We asked him about run-ins with gators. He said he had two pieces of advice. One, if you and your buddy are being chased by a gator, trip your buddy. Two, if you see your buddy being chased, sit back and enjoy the show. Ain't nothing you can do. Words to live by. From Andy Kill in Troutdale, Oregon. Tony, you made my day a, a while back with your praise for Hill Street Blues. I recall an early 80s marketing survey that said the number one reason people gave for buying their first VCR was so they could record and replay Hill Street Blues. Tell Pablo to go on YouTube and watch the 1983 episode of Hill of Beans. Actor Dennis Franz gives an Emmy-worthy performance as a corrupt, strung-out Sal Benedetto. And the entire episode plays like one of the decade's finest feature films. It's the best show I ever saw. Here's Brandon. Brandon writes us, when playing dinosaurs with grandsons in the garden, you ever put a slice of orange over your teeth and pretend to be a monster? <laughs> ever let Bootsy and the Hammer chase you with an old-fashioned pump-action watering can? For those of you who saw The Godfather, you know what he's talking about. John Holt in Chester, Virginia, you posit that Bootsy and the Hammer are smarter than Chessie because she regularly throws up Frisbees at 3 a.m. I agree with you. However, I have a follow-up question. Who's smarter, the dog who keeps throwing up Frisbees or the man who continues to give the dog Frisbees? Yeah. From Eric Reamer, there once was a dog named Chessie who ate a rib bone that was messy. The socialite was grieved, but the dog never heaved. Perhaps the bone was a Frisbee. Isn't that nice? <laughs> From Adam McCaslin in Mattoon, Illinois, I'm on your side in the dog versus child intelligence debate. We've trained our dog Maya to ring a bell at the back door when she needs to go out to do her business. She's also learned to use it for more nefarious purposes. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage and I both enjoy pretending to throw a ball and then sitting on it so Maya can't find it. One night we were doing this and she runs over to ring her bell. Assuming she needed to go out, we both got up only for her to swoop in and grab the ball. We had to admit we had been well and truly beaten. I thought I'd been training her only to discover she'd been training me. Pavlov's dog, more like Pavlov's humans. 
That's really good. That's like Maggie level. That's a real smart dog. <laughs> From Adam in Haymarket. My neighbor has a black Subaru Outback wagon with not one, not two, but three student driver magnets plastered in a non-organized manner on the back liftgate. I want to blow it up. <laughs> Bill Garner, North Potomac. I challenge Chris Saliza to an artisanal mustard contest. Right now I have 11 mustards in my fridge, one of which contains the remnant of all my dead mustards and eight new ones in the pantry. Michael, are you into artisanal mustard? Now, how many of these are? They, obviously, they're all jars of mustard, right? I be. assume. I assume. Thanks for the entertainment, Jeff Tolley of Missouri writes. And he writes, as a faithful longtime listener, I've been very disappointed in recent shows because you haven't mentioned the greatest revelation to come along in years. The fact that x-rays have been discovered coming from Uranus. Millions of devoted littles like me are on tenor hooks waiting for you to mine this gem and give us what we crave. Bad puns and have Wilbon exclaim, ha, 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 ha. We'll see. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. You know, they all get involved, and they all got their gear already, and so they're going to be all colored up in, uh, in the maroon and black and yellow. What a dope. <laughs>
I'm trying and 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 tr